While we continue to think much on the great changes that are taking place in our nation and uh, the deep, sad passing of Queen Elizabeth II, but also the fact that the nation has a new king, Charles III. And uh, last week we saw that this was proclaimed, the length and the breadth of the country, that this is the reality, King Charles reigns, God save the king. And uh, so much has filled these first days in his role with many official duties to be carried out. But as we prayed and have been praying through the week, we, we pray that his rule will be that which is marked by wisdom and by justice. But of course, those things can only be there when there is a right understanding of truth and the reality of God. And we pray, don't we, that God would be gracious to him and would grant to him that true salvation, that he would know the Lord for himself. But after being in preparation for this role for so long, now the opportunity has come to him. And maybe questions come to our mind. You know, what will he be like as king? What characteristics will he display? What will his rule be like? Well, only time will tell. But it made me think that with the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, these things are set before us in Scripture. We don't need to wonder about what he is like or what his reign will be. We're told. And we're also told how to be part of his kingdom. We're told the type of king he is, the nature of his reign, what it means to be his subject. And the Bible tells us that Jesus will reign forever, that he rules Overall, that he's high and that he's exalted, and to him is due the worship of the nations. And it's staggering to think that this king should come also to be the savior of sinners like us. And indeed, to see the way in which he lived that life which we could never live, and then to go to that cross to lay down his life on behalf of his people. And indeed, for those who trust in him, we can know that our sin is dealt with, the punishment has been taken, we have life in Christ, we are reconciled to God, and we have a certain and a glorious hope. And we know that our King, King Jesus, triumphed over death, he defeated the grave, that he is alive, and one day he will come again. And this is our great hope. And friends, if you don't know this King, we long that you will, to believe in him as Lord and Savior, the one who saves and keeps. But our text tonight, as I was thinking over these things, really stands apart, verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1. And it is a, a, such a clear and powerful statement at the outset of Mark's gospel, summarizing the truth concerning the Lord Jesus. Now, as we read the passage together, Mark explains the, the role of John the Baptist as the forerunner before Jesus, and then his imprisonment. But then he says, as John is imprisoned, the Lord Jesus begins his public ministry of teaching and preaching and healing and miracles. And what we have here in these verses is the proclamation of the true king and his kingdom. And you know, there is such a need in this day and age for us to be clear about what the message of Jesus really is. Do you know, people just don't know anything really about the Bible, about the gospel. You know, you talk to many people, they just don't know. 
And even those who maybe have some connection with church, they still lack an understanding of the gospel in terms of what the Bible actually says. And so it can create confusion and worse, it creates error about what the gospel is and how a person becomes a true Christian and what a Christian actually is. And you know, this lack of understanding is not the fault of of those outside, especially when the so-called church has done much of the damage by not submitting to the Word of God. And that's why we have to get back to what the Word says and to be faced with the proclamation of the King. It might not be popular, but at least there'll be no confusion. You know, one of the problems is that we live in a time where we're constantly told that there are no absolutes in some things. So there are some things we cannot know for sure, and so when it comes to dealing with the big issues in life and matters of faith or spirituality, you know, you just got to find something that works for you. But you can't be dogmatic about it. And any absolutes which offend others, well, you know, they've got to be silenced. So what we've got is a selective tolerance, selective freedom. And there'd also be those who argue that the Bible has got nothing to say to us in 2022. They say, well, you know, times have changed. And what might have impacted people in the past, well, that's not going to be relevant now. And, you know, we've seen, you look back over uh, the last however many years, churches have panicked. And so many have moved away from Scripture to try and create a message that they think would suit the world better. But that really is a pathway to irrelevance. The problem is when truth is set aside, it leaves a vacuum. And into that, all manner of things rush in. And so people, they're trying to find a way to understand life, to understand what is happening, to find purpose and direction. But it's impossible. It's it's perplexing. It's confusing. And that's why we need the truth of God. That's why we need the gospel, because this alone gives us understanding, the clarity and the answers that we long for. We're lost and confused and without hope until we meet the Savior. And at this pivotal point in history, you know, that's where many people find themselves today. You know, one of the constants in their lives that they've looked to has been taken away and that they feel shaken by that. And so there are those who are asking questions. It's a time of grief and uncertainty. And in some ways, when you look at the, the wider picture, it's a time of crisis. And the fragility of life is impressed upon us. Time is short. Eternity is real. And surely we are concerned for the future. How can we navigate our way through this troubled life as we were considering this morning? How can we be right with a holy God? How can we know what will happen to us when we die? How can we be sure of heaven? You know, don't you long for answers to those things? To know the truth, not just vague ideas or suggestions, but something clear and plain and simple. That's what we find in our text. And so we see that there is this emergence of the Lord Jesus to undertake his public ministry, and we see that it begins with a proclamation, with preaching. After John had been imprisoned, Jesus came to Galilee preaching. You know, that is such an important statement. The word used for preaching is a striking word. It's actually a word that would have been well known and commonly used in the Roman Empire. 
particularly when a son and heir was born to the emperor. A proclamation was made. Or when the the crown, the scepter passed from one ruler to the next, there was a, a heralding, there was a preaching, there was a proclaiming. That's why I thought it was so interesting because this is the very thing that we've seen in reality in our own land in these recent days when we've looked at the accession of King Charles III. His accession to the throne was proclaimed publicly. It was heralded. You had heralds who came out with the you know, special robes and their trumpets and all the rest. They pronounced this publicly throughout the country. They unrolled the scroll and they read the, the, the precise words about what has happened. And so this word preaching is bound up in that. A significant, powerful announcement. You know, a herald doesn't make an uncertain announcement, or at least they shouldn't. You know, they they don't get up and blow their trumpet and say, well, you know, we're not quite sure what's happening. It might be this, or it might be this, but, you know, we wouldn't like to say for certain, but something's going on. They don't say that. That's not heralding. No, they stand up and they make a declaration, and in those terms, Charles was proclaimed king with all the authority of the crown. There's no doubt And they feel honored to announce it. It carries with it that certainty. And that's the term used of the Lord Jesus here. It'll be used of the apostles when they preach the truth in the early church. It's emphasized through the true church across the centuries. Declaration with authority. Not just ideas or speculation, but the truth of God. You know, there's still a lot of people who like the idea of, you know, exploring spirituality for some experience or insight, but for them, the gospel is revealed in Scripture, well, that's too narrow. That's too certain. That's too dogmatic. They they don't want that. They like to, you know, pick and choose and some journey of enlightenment, but they fool themselves. Friends, life is not a rehearsal. You know, we're not in a game. You can't mess around with life. Life is serious, it's solemn, it's real. And we need answers, we need truth, we need to understand. And in this broken world, in our troubled lives with hurts and fears and unrest and anxiety, we can be overwhelmed. But then into that comes this certain declaration. Here is the message of the King of Kings. Here is this preaching, the beginning of the gospel. And you know, my role is to tell you that truth, the truth that you need to hear, the answers are all there in this book, the Bible. You know, if I'm a herald by God's grace, I'm not here to tell you my ideas or my perspectives because frankly, they're no better than yours. No, here in this book is the message from the king, the proclamation of the king. And that's what we need to reckon with. That's what we need to hear. The only authority that I have is on this truth, the truth of God, his authority, that the answers your heart and mind crave are here. And so you need to listen to the proclamation. You know, it's wonderful when we are granted to hear truly. Here is where we find rest for our souls. And you know, if you were suddenly taken into eternity, you would know where you were going and to whom you were going. The gospel proclamation, preaching with authority, it is still vital and relevant today. And so what does the Lord Jesus Christ proclaim? Well, he proclaims a plan. The proclamation of the plan. 
you know, we see in this proclamation a certain plan and purpose. Look at verses 14 to 15. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. Well, what is this time? Well, it's the great message of the Bible, that God has a plan and purpose for this world. All is not chance or fate. You know, here we are, and things look like they're a mess, and we've done our best, and we're still in a mess. And the world isn't getting better. It's broken, the reality of sin. And we're perplexed by the sheer volume of problems. Where do we look for hope? Where do we look for deliverance? Well, the Bible says that God has a plan and purpose for this world, and it is a plan to deliver and to save people from this sinful mess into which things have descended, to give us hope, to give us direction and purpose, and most importantly of all, the Savior. God himself has planned it. And Jesus says that which was planned before even the foundation of the world has now come to pass. The time had come. Think of 1 Corinthians 2, 7. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. So it's not, you know, here are a few ideas. Here is, you know, some suggestions. Here's a little discovery. The message of the Bible isn't trying to encourage you to find truth. It is urging you to listen to God's truth. It is declaring that God, in his incredible grace and mercy from his wonderful character, knowing the desperate plight of men and women, has set in place a plan through which they can be saved. Saved from ruin and despair and brought into his everlasting kingdom. And God not only planned this before the foundation of the world, but he also revealed it through time. Think of Hebrews 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. The whole of the Old Testament is God revealing his plan, his purpose. You know, it explains how God created the world, how sin came into the world, how God has this stunning plan and purpose to save. He's revealed it, and the Scriptures tell us. The Old Testament points to the one who is central in that plan, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah who would come. And the Bible doesn't just tell us about the plan, but this is something that God has already done. So I don't need to discover truth. I need to listen and believe the truth that God has revealed in his word. It's all here. You know, so all I need for salvation has been given. That's why preaching is possible. You know, if it was all a bit uncertain, if it was just theories or ideas or we're waiting for something else, you know, I, I could only say, well, give it a go and see if it works and, you know, we'll see where it leaves us. That's not the message of the gospel. It's a proclamation which comes, thus says the Lord, and God says, this is the way that I have set in place. It's the only way to know me and to be saved. Believe it and you will find that it's true. You know, we talk about our day and age and all the changes, all the challenges. But you know, God is the same. He doesn't change. And all our so-called advances, they don't alter that. God's character is what he has always revealed it to be. He is a holy God. He hates sin. He will punish sin. He will never change. 
James 1, he is the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It is impossible for God to change. He is eternal. He is absolute. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is all in all. And you know something else? It's also true to say that fundamentally, man does not change. For all the societal advances we are meant to have made and all those things, ask yourself, are people really different? Are they really different? Are they morally different? Has the stop being immorality or evil or treachery just because we have you know, made some advances in technology or science or cultural alterations? Has man fundamentally changed? The Bible says no. To be honest, these things have not really made much difference, and the problem that each one of us faces is still the same problem that has been there from the beginning as a consequence of the fall. That's sin. As one says, the problem has been this from the beginning. There were two brothers, one called Cain, one called Abel. Cain was jealous of Abel and murdered him. People are still like that. Read about the characters in the Old Testament and you'll find them there, drunkards, adulterers, thieves, full of jealousy, envy, malice, spite, greed. It's all still with us. That's the reality. We can dress it up as we wish, but that is the reality. Millennia have passed. The problem is still with us. And to think we need a a new message, a new solution, it's just not true. You know, if it was just about improving ourselves, then surely we would have had an advantage over all who had gone before, certainly in terms of knowing God. You know, here we are all these years later. Surely we would have advanced. You know, all these centuries later, gaining all this knowledge, and yet the problem is still the same. You know, the Bible tells us that we are entirely dependent upon the grace of God, dependent on His revelation for us to truly know him. It's ludicrous to think that just because we're in this later generation that we would know more about the Lord than the apostles. Ephesians 2.20, the true church of Christ is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We've seen in recent times that God purposed to use these men, apostles and prophets, to Give them this revelation, the gospel understanding, the knowledge we would need. He chose them. He called them. He gave them the message, using them as people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to convey it, to record it. It's all of him. If the world was to last another billion years, men and women will never know more about God or about Christ or about heaven or about hell or about salvation than they can know now if they read the Bible with spiritual eyes. As one explains, who would like to stand up and say that any modern man knows Christ as well as Paul knew him? What arrogance it is, indeed, what nonsense it is. This is not a matter of knowledge adding to itself. This is receiving the revelation that God gives, and he has given it in his word. And so the proclamation of the plan set in place, revealed, shown to us, pointing to Christ. And then the proclamation of the plan accomplished. God has planned and he has accomplished. He has acted in history. Christianity is not just teachings. It is real events that actually took place. The gospel says, hear what the Lord has done. 
You know, what happened at Pentecost when people heard the apostles speak in their, their own languages? What happened? Acts 2.11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues. What did they hear? The wonderful works of God. Not the, the thoughts of God, the works of God, the things that God had done. You know, these things are, are grounded in reality in history. You know, as it says here in our text, after John was put in prison, a real event, Jesus came to Galilee, a real event, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. True events. They took place. The Savior has come. You say, well, so what? Well, it means that your salvation and mine is not based on ideas, but on God's actions. His work. Something that has literally happened in this world. And the message to this world points them back to what actually happened. It's not vague. Our salvation depends not on our understanding, but on what God has done in Christ. It's all centered in Him. It's not about trying to philosophize or speculate. No, here are the gospel facts. This is what happened. Christ came. And it's about believing the truth concerning him. We proclaim something real, friends. Something that has happened. The reality of Christ. Galatians 4. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Doesn't matter what point in history we are now in, that's the turning point. That's the critical event. That's the unique event. God intervening. The gospel says, just as you are, look back, see what God has done in Christ, and see that all that is necessary for your deliverance has been done. And in our text, Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, it has come, it has arrived, everything that was foreseen, prophesied, pointed to, longed for, the time has come. The promised one has come. And the Lord says, this is good news. The king has come. The kingdom of God, the reign of God was at hand. You know, the world is as it is because it has rebelled against him. Men and women are in their present trouble and distress because they are rebels and they are reaping the consequences of their own evil deeds. But the truth is, friends, the way of the transgressor is hard. There is no peace for the wicked. And as long as people continue to turn from God and pursue their sin and rebellion, their trouble will increase. But the kingdom of God is so different. It is the rule of God. It is the reign of God. It means the coming of righteousness, of peace, of joy. It means the overcoming of sin, the blessing of God. It means knowing God for yourself, knowing his love knowing his favor, to be adopted into his family in Christ, to become heirs, to have certain hope of everlasting glory. These things are so wonderful. As we sang, the, the King of kings is drawing near, the Savior of the world is here, life and salvation does he bring, wherefore rejoice and gladly sing. Or another hymn which we sing towards the end of the year, Hark the glad sound, the Savior comes, 
The Savior promised long, let every heart prepare a throne and every voice a song. Why? He comes, the prisoner to release. In Satan's bondage held, the gates of brass before him burst, the iron fetters yield. Men and women, they're slaves to sin. They're in misery and in bondage and unhappiness. They can't break free. And yet here comes the one who is able to break the bars of iron and the, the gates of brass. He can set the prisoner free. And he goes on to speak of binding up broken hearts, enriching the humble poor with the treasures of his grace. Amazing gospel truths. You know, think of when Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and he stood up to read and opened the book to Isaiah, found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then it says he closed the book and gave it back. And every eye was fixed on him. Every eye was looking at him. And he begins to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine the prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of come, the, the, the favor of God, the day of deliverance, of pardon, the day of grace. What a proclamation. There's no need for us to try and work out a solution to our deepest need and distress. God has planned, he has accomplished, and God has visited and redeemed his people in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, we said it this morning, for God so loved the world, this world, this foolish, broken, sinful world that you and I live in, of which we are all apart by nature, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his Son. And we look back and we see this great truth that the babe in the manger was God incarnate, God's deliverer, God stepping down to rescue sinners like you and me. He does so in his person, in his life, in his teaching, in his work, but supremely. The king does it by dying upon a cross. That's the crucial act. Because you and I, as we are, we can't enter into the kingdom of God. We are sinful. We are guilty. We cannot enter God's kingdom in that state. We need to be washed. We need to be cleansed. We need to be righteous. How can we enter? Christ is the answer. And for all who believe he bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. And through his death on the cross, he takes our sin, he pays the price as our substitute, he takes the punishment that we deserve, he takes it all and he atones. He deals with all our sin, past, present, future, and then he gives us his own perfect righteousness so that when God looks on us, he sees the perfection of his son and we are accepted. That is what we needed. And God provided it. Christ has opened the way to the kingdom. And he says, today is the day of salvation. The time has come. The one promised 
is proclaimed. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, I am the true king. Come to me just as you are. You don't have to put yourself right first. You don't have to understand the magnitude of it all. You just need to come and cry out. And dear friends, life is brief. And the question to you this night is, how are you going to stand before God? How can you know that you're going to heaven? The gospel proclaims the time has come. The king has come, Jesus Christ. And such is his love for sinners that he went to the cross to die for all who would ever trust in him. And he says to you this night, repent. Think. Turn from your sin. Turn to me. Believe me. Trust me. Acknowledge me as your Savior and King. And I will save you now and forever. Repent and believe the gospel. Acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your shame, acknowledge your helplessness and simply believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of your soul, the King of kings. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe God's plan promised and accomplished. Believe this applied to you, that he alone can save you. That he came to do that because he's the King. The King promised the king who came, and the king who is coming again. You know, if you've seen your need and your failure, if you're afraid to die and face God, you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And you know, there's nothing in this earth like it. Nothing that compares to this. It is the most glorious good news that there is. There is nothing that compares the message of the Christian gospel, the message of the scriptures, repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. And whether you live long or not, it won't matter because you are right with God and your eternal future is absolutely secure. Friends, is that not good news? Is that not good news this night? Are you not thrilled by it? Do you not want to sing his praise, crown him, with many crowns. The Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy chosen king through all eternity. You know, I can't wait to see the king and by God's grace, one day I will and I pray that you'll be there with me. Amen.